Well, good morning, Calvary Chapel. How y'all doing? You know, if you've come to feast on the Word of God and to proclaim Jesus and His gospel and to be open to the movement of His Spirit, you're at the right place this morning. So it's my privilege to welcome you. I want to share a couple brief announcements, and then we have something very special uh, we're going to share with you and, and move into a, a time of something rather unique. Um, announcements are we have our youth camp coming up uh, August 3rd, which is next week, so that's really exciting. Be, have, keep them in prayer and just pray that it's a great mountaintop experience for those kids. Uh, the end of this month, the last Wednesday of the month, we will be starting our regular Bible studies again. So we'll have a ladies' Bible study uh, Wednesday mornings at 9.30 with child care, for those of you that need that. A, a ladies' Bible study also Wednesday night at 6.30, and a men's Bible study Wednesday night at 6.30. So please come and join those. They've been a, a great part of this church in our first um, couple of years. Also, if you are taking the Foundations of Faith class, the new one that starts today, um, I lead it upstairs in one of those back rooms, but we're taking a break until about 11.30 because of what we're going to do next here. So if you're here for that, uh, stay with us until 11.30 or so, and then we'll all go upstairs. Um, I call this my ode to Benkai. <laughs> As most of you know, Pastor Benkai and his wife Margarita and their family will be moving soon to Charlotte, North Carolina for a, an amazing job opportunity that uh, God has called Ben to. And so we thought as a church family that it would be good to take some time to, to honor them and their ministry among us uh, for these past several years. Now, as a church, we are here only to worship God, not people. But it is good to thank God for the people that he has blessed us with in our lives. In fact, we see the Apostle Paul do that in the introduction to almost every epistle. He will thank God for people in his life. One that struck me as I was thinking about what applies to Benkai and his family and how we feel about them is 1 Thessalonians 1-2, where Paul writes this. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And that's our heart for you, Benkai, Margarita, Kaya, Caleb, and Chelsea. Um, and it's good to do that every now and then, isn't it? I mean, even though these guys up here you saw were all dressed in black, this is not a memorial service for Ben. And so it's good to, to share these things, of how we feel about each other from time to time, and give honor to those that we truly love. And so um, as one who has been blessed to probably minister with Benkai the longest uh, here in the church, um, I was asked to share some remembrances of him with you. And I got to tell you that I count it as a great privilege, but it's also a very uh, bittersweet time for me. I choked up a couple times the first service saying this, so we'll see if I can get through it again, uh, with, maybe without doing that this time. But I first met Benkai about 20 plus years ago. I was serving in leadership at Rolling Hills Covenant as an elder and the church chairman. And one of my jobs was to chair the quarterly congregational business meetings. And if you've ever been to something like that in a large church, they're not exactly like a worship service up here. They can be rather contentious. And um, I was always dreading what someone was going to stand up and say until I noticed this then young man start, used to stand up. And he would always have just the most profound, uh, awesome, inspirational comments on anything that was going on that was just right out of the Bible, everything Ben would share. And I used to look forward to whenever he would raise his hand and I would call on him and he would come up and share. And to this day, uh, Ben Kai has 
for me and many of us, been a model of what we were told uh, in Ephesians 4.29 about our speech, where it says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And that's one of my first remembrances of Benkai as, as someone who would always do that. Well, after those early encounters with Benkai in business meetings, we then served together on a search committee that was looking for new church leaders. And I got to know him personally and get to hear his heart a little bit more. And I just loved spending time with him. And I, I was praying, Lord, there's got to be some way I, I can spend some more time um, around this guy. I had no idea how God was going to answer that prayer. Until 2010, uh, Rolling Hills Covenant decided to plant a satellite church up here known as Life in the Hill, and Ben Kai and I were the first pastors uh, of that church. And so for, for 10 years together, uh, we pastored here in that church, uh, right here in this very same building, uh, Life in the Hill. And we have, my wife and I have many, many fond memories of, of Ben Kai and, and his then wife, Teresa, who, who passed away in February of 2020, but to, to get to know each other better, we used to start meeting every Wednesday night, usually at the Bowie home, because the kids were younger then and they needed to be home with their kids. And week after week, Wednesday after Wednesday, I just loved those times, Ben Kai, getting to spend with you, getting to know you and, and Teresa and your family. And, and man, are those kids smart. I mean, they would always ask me these tough questions, theological or philosophical, that usually would stump me. One that stands out in particular, Caleb, I'll embarrass you again, is one night Caleb was maybe fifth grade, sixth grade, I don't know, he was asking me all these questions about the difference between Plato and Socrates and what they said on this, and I'm going, what are you talking about? It was just going way over my head. Uh, so just great, great kids. Um, was blessed to get to know them. And then in 2015, Rolling Hills Covenant asked Life in the Hill to go out uh, on our own and be an independent church. And I gotta tell you, I was a little taken aback by it because that had been my church for many, many years. Uh, kind of a little de you know, depressed about it, I guess I would admit. But I'll never forget the words Ben Kai shared with me, which were so encouraging. Uh, he said, Rob, they're throwing us the football. Why don't we just catch it and run? And I thought, what a great attitude. And had not Ben Kai had that attitude, and had I not followed that attitude, we wouldn't be here today. Because it is only because we went out as a freestanding church in 2015 that it, when 2020 came along and we were blessed to meet Pastor Daniel, we could say, yes, this is what we've always wanted to do, to reach this hill for Christ. And we were free uh, to join with him in planting um, this church and my wife, I remember, said the day we made that decision, I'll never forget, sitting right over there, a group of us praying, she just said, let the adventure begin. And hasn't it been an adventure? <laughs> it's been just really something else. Now, rather than keep going with bittersweet things, um, I, I want to share some profound things and some humorous things with you about Benkai, because if you've gotten to know him well, you'll know that there's both sides to him, the very profound, very philosophical, very deep theological, and also the humorous. So... Let me start with the profound ones. Um, I would have to say that probably the deepest spiritual thing about Benkai that has touched me the most in all the years I've known him is his amazing ability, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are, to always rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Benkai has been someone who truly lives out what is written in Philippians 4.4, where it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say Rejoice, And I have seen him do that through all kinds of ups and downs in life. 
think I gave a sermon here when we were still meeting outside late in 2020 that's on our website. I encourage you to go listen to it. Um, and it was the end of a very, very difficult year for him. And he shared with us four things that had happened in that year, any one of which would have been enough to put most of us flat in our face. The year started with his wife, Teresa, passing away. Shortly after that, his company was bought out and his job was put in jeopardy. Shortly after that, he found out that the man that had raised him all of his life as his father was not truly his birth father, and he actually met who his birth father was and a whole new family. And then towards the end of the year, his brother-in-law committed suicide. And yet Benkai was able to stand out there in the parking lot and teach us out of the Book of Mark, I think it was at that point in time, about the joy that is found in the Lord. So that's our brother. That's who he is, someone who always rejoices in the Lord. Um, I've got to also mention Benkai's amazing ability to trust in the Lord to provide no matter what. Benkai and Teresa and their family lost their home in the Great Recession back in 2007, 2008, and yet not once were they ever worried that God wouldn't find a new home for them. I've seen Benkai go through a lot of losses in his, in his life, both personal and financial, and yet he has always held steadfast to the truth that we have in Philippians 4.19 that says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. For me personally, Benkai has always been a very faithful partner in ministry. In all my years of ministry with him, I had the assurance that he always had my back. When the flaming darts of the enemy would be attacking me, whether they be arrows of despair or personal attacks, Benkai was always there, wielding the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit to protect me, to strengthen me, and to encourage me. And so, Benkai, you are a living example of what Proverbs 17, 17 says, that a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And you've been a brother to me through lots of adversity. Benkai also has an undying love for the people of God, which would overwhelm me at times. I, I can think of countless leadership meetings where we would hear of someone's need, usually a financial need, whether small or large, no matter what the size, Benkai would be the first one saying, let's do it, let's help, Let, let's give them what they need to get them through this. Benkai was also always there to pray for those who were sick. Many of you in this room have probably been, been, <coughs> excuse me, been beneficiaries of that. And I'll never forget in July of 2020 when COVID was still new and no one knew how to deal with it, our youngest daughter, Katie, came down with a really bad dose of the original COVID and was quarantined in her room for days. And yet there on a Sunday afternoon after church, outside her window with the window open, was Benkai to pray for her. So um, Benkai, for who you are in Christ, we know God smiles on you and on your family. And all we have to do to see that is consider the amazing blessing of him bringing Margarita of God bringing Margarita into his life at just the right time, as well as this incredible job opportunity uh, that he's giving you back east. The final thing about Benkai that has touched me so much is he is one of the few people in this world, besides my own wife, where we know each other so well that we know what each one of us is going to say before we ever say it. And there have been countless elder meetings where I've been absent, and Benkai will be there and say, well, if Rob was here, he would say this, and I'd hear about it later, and he was exactly right. And the same thing I would do for him when he was gone. We just know how each other think. 
And that's a pretty amazing gift to have that connection with someone. Now I get to share some funny things that I will never forget about Ben Kai. The first is the sense of humor God has that he would pick two guys who are lawyers to start a church and become two guys who are pastors. You know, the first Bible study I was ever asked to teach over 30 years ago, they wanted me to teach on how can you be a lawyer and a Christian at the same time? Good, good question, right? And um, um, so I, I started to do a Bible study, and I found out that the word that's translated as lawyer in Hebrew uh, was also the same word that's used to say scribe. And then I started looking through my concordance at all the references to scribe. Every single one of them is, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And so I began to think, this is not, not very good here, but somehow... God was able to work through these two great crazy guys who are attorneys and um, let us be pastors as well. So great blessing to share that with you, Benkai. And then those of you that know Benkai know that he also has this unique ability to be loving, but also very, very direct. And Benkai and I did a lot of counseling together in our years of ministry here. And I'll never forget one time, and don't worry, these people are long gone, but we were doing some marriage counseling. And... Um, uh, this guy was really not very nice to his wife at all. And we were meeting with him one day alone, and he was just complaining to us that my wife keeps calling me a jerk. He keeps calling me a jerk. That's all she calls me is a jerk. And Ben Kai looks right at him and says, you know what, why she does that? Because you are one. <laughs> I was taken aback, but, but he was direct, got the guy's attention, and we were, God was able to, to work with him after that. And then Life on the Hill was a very multicultural ministry, and so we used to have a lot of ethnic food events where you'd bring food from your ethnic background, and it was very fun and exciting, but Benkai had this unique ability to always bring uh, this special type of African food that he liked, anything made with something called palm butter. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen palm butter, but it's got to be the richest, highest cholesterol type of fat you can ever imagine. Just looking at it makes your heart start you know, beating like something's going to happen, and always the palm butter. Uh, came from our brother Benkai. And then um, in 2015 to 2018, we taught through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible together, Benkai and I did, and did it really slowly and in-depth like we do still here at, at Calvary Chapel. And I'll never forget, Benkai was preaching through a part of Numbers. And if you've read Numbers, you know, it's, it's God's Word, it's inspired, it's useful, it's profitable. But there's parts of it that are more exciting than others, and you'd probably put Numbers on the part that's not so exciting, you think. And so to get our attention and to make it exciting for us, Benkai actually started out his message by preaching part of it as a rap song. Now that took some, <laughs> some guts and some musical um, ability, which I loved. So for Benkai, um, besides loving us, besides sharing profound things with us, besides uh, being that faithful ministry partner that I've des described and encouraging uh, all of us here, uh, and besides living out this life of faith as an example to us for so many years, um, you've also made us laugh. And for that, we're going to miss you as well. So we love you, Benkai. We love you, Margarita, Caleb, Kaya, and Chelsea. And I think now we have something special planned uh, that's also very near and dear to Benkai's heart. So I'm going to call Pastor Ben up for that. Good morning, everybody. Um... Ben Dukai, Margarita, Caleb, Kaya, Chelsea, Joel. We're going to miss you guys. We love you. Uh, so the songs that we're singing this morning um, really have uh, some special significance in the life and the ministry of the Bowie family. And, 
and as it pertains to this amazing um, ride that we've been on together. The first song, Simplicity, uh, is one of the first songs that I can recall Pastor Ben Dukai um, just suggesting to me. And, and as the worship pastor, you'll, you'll get suggestions from time to time, and, and all are welcome. And, and this song just happened to come at a period of my life when I needed to be reminded of the message that God is my first love. And songs just have a way of doing that. They, they just take you back to a moment in time. And I don't remember the specifics of what I was going through then, but I, I distinctly remember that that was the message that the Lord needed to tell me, needed to remind me of, and that song encapsulated that perfectly. So simplicity. In Christ Alone, um, this was a song that we sang at uh, Pastor Ben Dukai's late wife's memorial a few years back. And um, what was distinctive about this song for me was it, we didn't sing it in the manner that we typically do or in the version that I typically have sung it in, um, but it was sung by, by his brother um, who just has this powerful, rich, baritone voice, so beautiful. And as he was singing these, uh, those words in, in that moment, it, it just pierced my soul. And uh, I, I still remember that to this day. And um, so it, it was something that we wanted to make sure that we did today. Uh, so now I'm going to invite the uh, worship band and the Calvary Choir. And uh, we have a little something that we're going to be doing for Pastor Ben Dukai here and family. And... Um, I, I learned that, that this is a song that, that happens to be one of Pastor Ben Dukai's favorite, if not his favorite song, and um, not, not surprising in the least, as it is a song that's uh, full of spirit, it is full of soul, and an acknowledgement of his Jewish roots. You guys did, I don't know if you knew, he's half Jewish, so an acknowledgement of his Jewish roots, um, it has chutzpah. So... Um, we invite everyone to rise and join us as we uh, sing this song in his honor. Sing it now, church. 
Wasn't that awesome? Oh. I know, right? Why don't we bring it out right at the end? So good. Well, hey, we love this family. We're so excited for what God has in store for the buoys. And uh, if I could just add um, my thoughts, I barely got through it first service. I'm going to try to say it with a little more clarity today. Um, when we first started this church, uh, when Life on the Hill said, hey, can we be part of planting Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes? We were like, okay, what's this going to look like? And one of the things that we said was, we, ne- we need to move at the speed of trust. And I was really, uh, it was really amazing how quickly, by the love and by the Spirit of God, we were able to form such a bond so quickly. And one of the things that I often say to all of our elders, and um, they hear me say it repeatedly, is... Doing ministry with your friends is way more fun and way more fruitful. And so, Ben Kai, you've been such a good friend to me, and it's been so fun doing ministry together with you. I'm going to miss your amazing perspective on a whole range of topics, and uh, I can um, add to that sense that Rob said where you are always one who um, is steadfast in trusting in the faithfulness of God. You just trust His goodness and His faithfulness, and um, yeah, I'm going to be calling you often because I don't always do it as quickly as you do. So, uh, and then Margarita, you know, you have really flourished uh, as a pastor's wife, and just coming into this church family and into this family, um, you just have such a gentle radiance about you, and we love you and are going to miss you. And for all you guys here. Um, Kaya, Chelsea, and Caleb, um, you guys heard me say it first service, but not being, um, or you know, being a pastor's kid isn't always that easy, but uh, in your dad especially, because he's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> but uh, as I said, you know, you are your father's joy, and he has really uh, taken, especially in like this last season, just such a special love and care for you guys, and so... We appreciate your service and faithfulness in this church as well. So we're going to pray over the buoys now, and uh, they're going to be sent off, but they're always part of this church family, um, and uh, we love them. So extend a hand of blessing over them as we pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the Bowie family, and thank you for how Pastor Ben Kai has so faithfully served you and served this church, and that together this whole family entering into a new season that you have for them. And God, we ask that your hand of blessing that has been upon this church would be that hand of blessing that guides and leads them into the next season that you have ahead for them, Lord, knowing that all the while we can trust that they will look to your faithfulness, they will look to your goodness to guide them. And so we're just so grateful to have been able to receive such wonderful things from this family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Who knew that Pastor Ben could, you know, lead a gospel song like that? That was amazing. That was, whew, so good. 
All right, well, let's, uh, let's dive into God's Word together today. If you have your Bible, would you please open it to Hebrews chapter 4? Give me a moment as I turn there as well. Hebrews chapter 4, such a great section ahead of us. Today we're going to be looking at this amazing scripture that talks about how the scriptures work and the power that is contained within them. So uh, we'll be going through verses 12 through 16 today of the book of Hebrews. It's been so fun going through this book together. And join me as I read it. The verses will be behind me on the screen, but uh, hopefully you have your Bible to follow along with me. So it says this in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give accounts. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning so far and for uh, the honor that we've been able to give to Pastor Ben Kai. And now we come before you, Lord, the one who is worthy of all glory, all honor, and all praise. And we thank you, God, for your living and active word. And we pray that you would speak to us today in and through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we've been making our way through the book of Hebrews, and we've been doing it in a manner that is, uh, you know, what we do regularly, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through this letter. And that's the way that we teach and preach through the Bible here at this church. Because in doing so, you're going to get a well-balanced diet of the Word of God. And the Word of God is considered to be like food to the believer in Jesus Christ. And there's even some passages of Scripture, for instance, in the book of Ezekiel, I think it says it, also in Revelation, that says, eat this book. Eat this book. It is food for your soul. And so the Bible is unique because it has within itself this internal testimony of how it works. For instance, you can go and read Psalm 119, which is like an acrostic poem. And what that psalm does is it takes the Hebrew alphabets, and under each Hebrew letter, it, it describes what the Word of God is like and what it does in the person who hears the Word and obeys the Word. And so many places in the Bible, we're going to find passages of Scripture like that to describe to us what the Word of God is like and, and what it does. For instance, the Word of God is like a hammer, can break up a stony heart. The Word of God is like water that can refresh the spirit. The Word of God is like a seed that can be planted upon the good soil of your heart. 
the Word of God is like a mirror that can tell you what you really are, and, and, and you can see what's going on in your life. On and on, the Word of God is going to tell you about the power that is contained within itself. But this section is Hebrew, in Hebrews is one of the best places to tell us what the Word of God is like. And so Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So let's break down this verse, which is telling us how the Word of God works. First, we're talking about the Word of God. And the Word of God goes by several different names. I've already used some of them interchangeably. The Bible, the Scriptures, and the Bible, which is the Word of God, contains two main sections of Scripture, both the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures. And there are 66 books in total, one of them being the book of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews is saying here that the Word of God, all of this right here, is living and active. And uh, that's a unique way to describe a book, isn't it? I mean, that's because the Bible's not just any book. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says, "All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." So this isn't just any book. Like if you were to go to you know, your favorite bookstore and just find some knowledge, some novel, right? No novel would say about itself, this is breathed out by the living and active God, and it is living and active in your life as you hear it, right? And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and this is what he believed. And as he is knowing that there are people hearing and reading this word, this is what God wants us to believe also. But we need to understand something that was mentioned back in verse 2 of this same chapter, and that is, unless you hear God's Word and it mixes with faith inside of your inner being, if you just simply hear it but don't have faith in it, then it is really just kind of like another book. And the Word of God is living and it's active because it comes from a living and active God, but but we could say, in a sense, it's only living and active if you've got a living and active faith. But here's the powerful thing about God's Word, is that it has the power to produce faith. Because Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. And so hopefully you see the Word of God in this way, and you've experienced for yourself the activity that the Word of God has within your life. And, and so Let's look just at a few ways that the Bible self-describes itself, and as we read it, as we hear it being taught right now, would we see its activity in our lives? So first, it says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now this week, I just got a new 
set of knives. And we had the same knife set from when we first got married, which uh, is about an 11-year-old knife set. I've sharpened it many different times, but it was time for some new ones. And uh, it's amazing the difference between cutting with a dull knife and cutting with a sharp knife. I was just, you know, in the kitchen cutting cucumbers like, this is amazing, right? And uh, it's nice to just cut through things with such ease when you've got a sharp knife. And the Word of God works in a very similar way, only, you know, the Bible doesn't get replaced. You know, you don't think like, oh, you know, this old thing doesn't really work for me anymore, you know? Because look, this is an ancient book. This is a book that has been around for thousands upon thousands of years, and and it's old, but it's a two-edged sword that will always remain, and it will never grow dull. Now, you and I might grow dull in hearing the Word of God, but the Word itself doesn't get dull. Another thing that the Bible says is that, you know, you can't add to the Bible. You can't subtract from the Bible. The Bible is what it is, and we should should just love it and, and live with it as it is. In fact, one of the ways that the, or the way the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22 verse 18 and 19, uh, look at this scripture of how the Bible ends. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Whoa. (laughs) What's that saying? It's saying, do not mess with this book. And so we have this sword. This is our knife set, if you will, and it happens to work very well. Now, the Bible has been described as a two-edged sword because uh, you could say in one sense it has the ability to cut and defeat its enemies, but in another sense it can be used as like a sharp scalpel in the hands of a great physician. It has two edges perhaps because it can both cut and comfort at the same time. And haven't we seen that in the book of Hebrews so far? How one message depending on where you're at in your life and how you're hearing it, it may be a word that will afflict you because you're comfortable, or it may be a word that comforts you because you're afflicted. And it can have two different effects with the very same message because the Word of God, what it does is it does individual heart surgery on each one of us. And it's amazing how the Word of God just cuts right to you, doesn't it? So piercing. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And each one of these things can be seen as these very small things to divide. And when the Word of God is rightly divided, as the pastoral epistles say, when it's rightly divided, meaning that when it's being handled well and when it's cut straight, it has this amazing ability to cut deep into our lives. And I hope you know what I'm talking about. To where it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit. 
You know, the soul and the spirit, this is a fascinating verse because it is one of the few places in the Bible that seems to make a distinction between the soul and the spirit. And today, I'm not really feeling led by the Lord to go into a theological study as to whether you and I are tripartite beings or bipartite beings, meaning, you know, is, are we made up of body, soul, and spirit, tripartite, or are we just body and soul and spirit, which are the same thing, bipartite beings, and you're probably just like, oh, who cares, right? Or maybe you do really care, and you'd love to have a theological conversation about that with me. I had one after first service today, and it was great. But, but I don't want to get into some theological extrapolation of whether the you know, body, soul, and spirit, and where's the division of soul and spirit, and all this kind of stuff. But my purpose is this, is do you realize you've got an inner being? Whether you see the soul and the spirit as the same, or you see the soul and the spirit as separate, that's fine. We, we could talk about that. We wouldn't divide over that. But, but you do know, right, that you are more than just a clump of cells called a body. And that every single one of us here would realize that we are so much more than just these, you know, physical, you know, body bags of bones. <laughs> but that we have an outer part of us, that would be our physical bodies, but that there's also an inner part of us that is spiritual. And the inner part of our being is what is called the spirit and or the soul. And whether the soul and the spirit are the same or the soul and spirit are separate, what you ought to know is this, is that the word of God is sharp enough to get in there. It can divide to the spirit and the soul. And so if the division of soul and spirit is a little bit too much to comprehend this morning, then let's take it to the physical side of things. How about that the Word of God is able to divide of joints and marrows? That's, that's a division that requires great skill. For instance, if you were to go in for, say, a shoulder surgery, you would want to go under the knife of somebody that is very skilled that can cut into the most tight little places to do that surgery. And, and what we understand even about that is that the human body is very complex, is it not? We're very complex creatures. See, we're not just physical beings. We're not just emotional beings. And we're not just spiritual beings. We're these multifaceted, complex beings that were created in the image of God. And so we would say with that great complexity, we would only trust the skill of a great physician to take his knife and cut into the joints and the marrow of our bodies. And so it is with the Word of God, that God uses His Word like a very skilled doctor. He can diagnose you. He can cut into the things that are in your life that are causing you harm. And then finally, it says to us that the Word of God has the ability to discern the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. You probably know this verse quite well from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And you know, it's really kind of challenging to understand all of what it means to be a human being. But I'll tell you, if there's one thing that I would say 
understands my life well. It wouldn't be, you know, my doctor, although they probably know more of what's going on in my body than I do, right? It wouldn't be even my closest friend or confidant, my, my wife or, or my family. There's something, and it wouldn't even be myself. I sometimes have a really hard time even understanding myself. But do you know what gets me? I believe that this book gets me really well. There's no other book that understands the human condition quite like this book. You've heard me say this before, I hope, which is that the Word of God has everything in it that you will ever need to know about God, and it has everything in it that you will ever need to know about yourself. See, this book is profoundly and powerfully sufficient to understand humanity. It knows what you're thinking. It knows what you're intending, even when you can't quite grasp what's going on in your own head and in your own heart. If you read the Bible and, and as you listen to it being explained, there's going to be this self-discovery that you're not going to be able to find anywhere else. And Why is that? Well, it's because the Bible is not just a book of self-discovery. It is able to do that, you know, it's a book that is going to tell you a lot about yourself, but it's more than a book of self-discovery. It is a book of God-discovery. And when you realize who God is, the one who created you and fashioned you, when you really understand who God is, you're going to have a much better opportunity at understanding who you really are. So much we seek to understand ourselves as human creatures, and yet when we understand that when we worship and serve the Creator who is blessed forever, we're going to have a really much better chance at understanding ourselves. But let me be honest with you. It can be really challenging to try to explain all of this by way of teaching, you know, it's, it's something that you have to experience. You have to know what I'm talking about right now by your own experience, where the Word of God has worked in your own life in this way, where it's spoken to you, where it's cut right into you. You know, it's really interesting because as a preacher, I'll often have people come and say, how did you know exactly what I was going through? Like, I've even had people think that I was like stalking them or, you know, like their wife was telling me all of what's going on in their lives or something like that. And it's like, no, um, I'm not reading your mail. <laughs> I'm simply reading and teaching the scriptures. And, you know, I don't have any special insight into your life. I want to say that as a pastor, I know um, I would know the people that God has called being a shepherd, that I know you in a personal way and know some things about you, but I, I wouldn't have the opportunity to know everything that there is to know about every person who comes and sits and hears the Word of God preached on a Sunday morning. But there's something so powerful where I can just be explaining the Bible, simply teaching the Word of God simply, and the Bible will do all the work. Because if I just teach the Bible and step out of the way, if I uphold Jesus and His gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to hear the Word of God, and the Word of God's going to cut you like a sword. And so I'm just going to say, if you hang around these parts long enough, this Word's going to get you. Can anybody say amen to that? where the Word of God has gotten you. 
and has grabbed a hold of your life and it speaks to you. And so that's a little bit about the Word of God. It's a little bit about how it works. Well, let's put it into practice now at verse 13. It says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We just learned this last Wednesday night, which was the last Wednesday of our summer series going through the Psalms, that God knows all things, God is all present, and God is all powerful. And from Psalm 139, and if you missed that teaching or any of the teachings from our summer series, they're on our website, and it's worthy of checking out. And speaking of that, I would say this, is that I hope that Sunday mornings for an hour and 15 minutes isn't the only time that you're getting the Word of God. But that all through the week, whether it's through reading or studying or going to a Bible study or going through a devotional or listening to a sermon in the car or, or listening to some worship music, that there are many different ways and certainly more ways than this that you're getting God's Word into your life. But as Psalm 139 showed us, God is all-knowing and all-present and all-powerful. These are his essential attributes. You may have heard me say this before, which is, God is God, and you are not. God is the creator, and you and I are the creation. And the creator is always greater than the creation, Recall from Hebrews 3 how the builder of the house is greater than the house itself. And Jesus, the Son of God, is the builder of the house, and we are his house if we hold fast. And so it's obvious then that if God is the builder of the house and rules over the house, then that God sees everything, and he knows everything, and he knows what's going on in your life. No creature is hidden from his sights. You know, I stand and I preach the Bible. I don't know what's going on in your life, but God does. Every last thought and intention of your heart, God knows it. Even if no one else in this room knows it, God does. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of God. What does that mean? Well, for one, it means that we must give an account to him. How are you living this life that God has given you to live? And so I know, personally, from God's Word, that I, as a teacher of the Word, will have to give an account for how I handled God's Word. The book of James says, not many of you ought to be teachers, knowing that those who teach will be held to a stricter judgment. That's a sober responsibility that I take and and. and seek to honor God and God's word by faith. And, but, but listen, I'm not the only one in this room that has a responsibility. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to examine if what I say is really what God's word says. That's why I always say, open your Bible. And not only that, but as you open your Bible, you also need to open your heart. You know, open your eyes and open your ears to what the Spirit is speaking. And, and if, if you're hearing and, and, and you're listening to God's Word, but it's, you're never opening your heart to what God is saying to you, ooh, careful. Because God's going to ask you one day, did you hear my Word? 
And how did you respond to my word? How did you live my word? God is the one that we must give an account to, and every single one of us will stand before God, and he will judge us. Now, I know from the word of God that there are different judgments of God. And I know that I will appear before the Bema seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be a judgment where I will have my works tested with fire. And there will be a reward that will be given for the, the works that I did. But it's not a works of judgment. Rather, it would be a judgment of reward. God's going to reward those who live for him. I also know that there's this other judgment in the Bible called the great white throne judgment. And I know that I'm not going to stand before that judgment because that's a judgment for those who did not believe in Jesus Christ as their God and Savior. And so there's all these different judgments in the Bible. The most important would be that you understand that sin was judged by God upon Jesus at the cross. That's the biggest judgment. It's the cross that tells me I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not the, not the great white throne judgments. And so hopefully you would know the Bible by reading it and hearing it and understanding it to know that you will appear before God as your judge. Don't you think that if you're going to appear before God as your judge, it would be a really good idea to find out what his judgments are in the Bible? Don't you think? Like if you're going to go appear before a judge in court, don't you think you'd do a little bit of preparation before just going and standing before the judge and being like, I don't know why I'm here. It's like, I told you why you were here. And so this book summons us to stand before God as our judge. And then verses 14 through 16, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now this section in the book of Hebrews, I believe, is an important transition point in the book. So far, we've seen that Jesus is greater than all. He's superior to prophets and angels and Moses and Joshua and the promised land. And Jesus is now being called the great high priest. There's going to be a lot coming down the pipe in the book of Hebrews about what this means as Jesus, our high priest. And so today, we're only going to go so far as the text says, but just know in the coming weeks and months, we're really going to dive in to this idea of Jesus as our high priest. So verse 14 says, since then, which again is a transition word, a, a case is being built for the greatness of Jesus. It says, since then, we have. And who's the we? Well, the we is we who have believed. If, if you've believed in Jesus Christ as your God and Savior, then you can say, since then, we have a great high priest. Jesus isn't just any high priest. He's the great high priest. The high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, about whom there is much to say, 
And you're going to be hearing about him in the coming weeks. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. You see, our great high priest didn't just enter an earthly tabernacle, a tent that was made with hands, which was but a shadow and a copy of the real heavenly sanctuary. But when Jesus died on the cross and made atonement with his own blood, he passed through the heavens, being both the high priest and the sacrificial offering, so that when we stand before God, we can be totally cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Right? And this, this is what we're going to be getting into as we go through the book of Hebrews. Basically, chapters 5 through 11 are going to be an in-depth look at how Jesus, our great high priest, passed through the heavens. Now, I believe that if you've been with us in this church, and you continue to be with us in this church, a church that seeks to exalt the name of Jesus and preach from the Word of God, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to keep hearing about Jesus, and you will be moved by His greatness. Because when we hear about the greatness of Jesus continually from the Word of God, it's going to have its effect on you. You will know Jesus, and you will be known by Jesus. So since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Remember, this letter was being written to people who weren't so sure about Jesus, the Son of God. And maybe you're here today, and you're not quite sure about Jesus. Is He really God? Is He really a Savior? Is He really worthy of my life? Because there's a lot better things that I'd enjoy doing than worshiping Jesus. But is Jesus the one that you confess as your great God and Savior, the great high priest? But the power of the Word of God is this, is that if you continue to hear the name of Jesus Christ proclaimed to you by the Word of God, then I know of no better way for us to hold fast our confession than doing just that. And look, you're not going to ever be able to pry this book out of my hands. And if you do, it's in my heart. But I'm just going to give you guys a simple reminder and warning that if you ever see that this book does not get read from, that this book does not get preached from, I don't know why you're here. But if the Word of God continually is proclaimed, and the real Jesus, Him crucified and risen from the dead, is preached and proclaimed week after week from the Word of God, if we continue to hold steadfast that He is the one and only incarnate Son of God, the Savior King of the world, if we keep making our way through the Bible, if we keep bringing our real lives to the real Jesus, then you will be able to hold fast your confession and we can do that together. Amen? Amen. 
So verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Notice it says, we do not have, because there's a lot of wrong ideas about Jesus. And you know, you'll hear me say this all the time, bring the real you to the real Jesus. Well, how do you know that we proclaim the real Jesus here? Because, I mean, does that mean that, like, these churches down the road, that they don't have the real Jesus, and there's something special about the Jesus of Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes? Like, he's the real Jesus? How do we know that we know the real Jesus? We know the real Jesus because we know we've discovered and he's been revealed to us in the Scriptures. That's how we know the real Jesus. We know the Jesus of the Bible. And there's a lot of wrong ideas about Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews have to say, we do not have a high priest who is X, Y, Z. And so one of the things that he wanted the, writer, uh, the readers to understand is some people have the wrong idea about Jesus in that they think that Jesus doesn't understand them. Jesus doesn't get how hard life is. Jesus doesn't realize how hard faith is. If only Jesus knew the pain and the weakness and the struggles we face, if only Jesus knew something about doubt, if only Jesus knew how tempting and how luring it is to live in this world, oh, if only Jesus really understood, you know, but, but we think of Jesus as one who does not understand what we go through. And yet that's not the Jesus we have. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. You know, one thing that I could do this morning is I could go through a hundred different temptations to sin, hoping that maybe one of them would stick, you know? You'd be like, oof, yeah. That's, that's the one that I'm tempted with. That's my sin right there. And, you know, I don't need to do that because, you know, while listing off a number of temptations, they, they might resonate or they might strike a chord with you. Perhaps some would be stronger than others, but, you know, across this room, it would be totally varied. And so what you're tempted with may not be the same temptation that the person sitting next to you deals with. And yet, if we simply teach the Word of God, it's amazing how one person struggling with lust, another person struggling with pride, another person struggling with greed, another person struggling with, with you know, Whatever it is, I mean, I said I wasn't going to go through the list, but I started going through the list, right? Whatever it is, the Word of God has the power to speak to you and what you're going through. And I want to be clear about something. This is a very, very important truth that we draw from the Scripture. Temptation is not sin. Temptation, when acted upon, Temptation, when behavior is brought forth, then it becomes sin. But I don't feel that I need to take much time this morning to convince you that temptation and sin is real. But what I perhaps do need to remind you of, or perhaps even convince you of, is that Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're struggling with. You can come to him because he realizes 
how hard it is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says this about us, which implies something about Jesus. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But you know who has? Our great high priest. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And those last three words are the most important truth about Jesus, yet without sin, because had Jesus sinned, he would not be able to be our great high priest. His blood would not be able to make propitiation for our sins. And so, you know, as we end here this morning, the power of God does not come from my ability to explain these verses to you. I hope that what I've been able to preach this morning helps you. I believe it's why God has gifted me and called me to be a pastor. But look, you could go and you can hear a thousand different sermons on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 through 16. And I'm going to tell you, you'll probably find some that are a lot better than this one. But the power is not in the ability of the pastor to teach and preach the word. The power is in the word. The power is in the spirit of God. And the power comes when by the word of God and by the spirit of God, you receive God's word with faith. That's where there's power. So let this powerful word and the power of the Spirit have its full effect on you. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Is that the Jesus you know? Then let's hold fast to him. Let's keep confessing him as our God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and then I'm going to invite you guys all to stand up as we read this final verse of the section. Verse 16 is a powerful truth, one that I could have spent the entire message just preaching on this one verse, but I have faith that if I just simply read it, and if you hear it with faith, it's going to make an impact in your life. So I'm going to read it, and you're going to hear it, but you have to hear it with faith. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know what that's saying to us? It's saying that we have a sympathetic high priest, Jesus Christ, who passed through the heavens and offered his blood as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So that by the grace and the mercy of God, we have been washed clean and that we can with boldness and confidence draw near to the throne of grace to get whatever it is that we need from God. And I want to give you a little picture of something that my middle son does pretty much every Sunday in between first and second service is 
He comes into the sanctuary during the time, you know, between services, and he comes right up to me. It doesn't matter if I'm praying with somebody. It doesn't matter if I'm talking with somebody. It doesn't matter where I am in the room. He comes, and he finds me, and he comes right up to me, and he reaches into my pocket, and he takes my phone. You'll need to unlock your iPhone first. Yeah. And he, uh, he grabs my phone, and he takes it back into my office. And he goes and he looks up sports highlights and whatever, you know, YouTube kids or something like that. And he just, you know, kills some time back there with, with my phone. And, you know, it's just, that's what he does. It's what he likes to do in between services. But he just has this boldness, this confidence. It doesn't matter. I could literally be praying over somebody and I feel a little hand reaching into my pocket, <laughs> you know. And I just know, oh, that's my son getting what he needs coming right up to, to me. And that's the way we should approach our God. You just come right up to your Father. He knows what you need even before you realize what you need. And you just come today and you receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen? Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. We'll have prayer teams on the side. And as always, just let's exalt the name of Jesus.